Hello and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. Um, we have a special guest with us today to talk about some very important issues relating to um, how we look at Scripture. Um, Brother Pascal Denault, coming all the way from Montreal, Canada. Brother Pascal, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Um, can you give us a little background on yourself um, for our audience before we get into our topic today? So you want me to explain the background or? <laughs> <laughs> or you can. Sean, yeah. I think your pun, uh, your pun mastery has been matched. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, sorry, we're, we're doing a podcast too. And, you know, I'm a bit, of, I'm a bit of the, the Richard Barcelos of uh, French Canadian, Richard Barcelos, you know, <laughs> trying to be funny at yep. each point I can. <laughs> and, uh, I'm I'm usually more funny than he is, but uh, nobody can get get my joke in French uh, from <laughs> the United States audience. Uh, so yeah, I've, um, I've been uh, born here in Quebec, the French part of uh, North America. Uh, my parents uh, were uh, attending an evangelical church from uh, Anabaptist tradition. So when I was converted, I was baptized uh, as a Mennonite brethren. And uh, after a few uh, years of uh, Christian life, I felt uh, the call to serve the Lord. Uh, I was a bit mystic. I wanted to go with my uh, pack sack and uh, travel hitchhiking and do miracles on the way. You know, I was... Uh, hoping to be an apostle or something like that. And someone gave me the good advice to uh, go study the word if I want to serve God. And uh, so I was not sure, but I followed the advice by God's uh, sovereign purpose, I guess. And there at the the Faculté de Théologie Évangélique, uh, so it's the Evangelical Faculty of Theology in Montreal, um, I, I, I uh, did a bachelor degree in theology and then a master degree, but uh, it was an important turning point when I've met uh, a teacher that became my mentor. Maybe you've heard about him. It, his name is uh, Raymond Perron, or I should say Raymond Perron, the French way. But uh, so uh, he's, he's been a missionary uh, with uh, ARBCA for several years. And I think he's still uh, supported by uh, some uh, different churches from uh, the United States. Um, and uh, he had a major influence uh, in my life, uh, in my theology. And uh, as I said, he became my mentor and also um, eventually introduced me to the, the Reformed Baptist world. Uh, his contacts they brought me uh, with him on uh, trips to, to uh, some GAs in the, the States. And I've uh, kind of become, become a part of the Reformed Baptist family. And eventually I did a research uh, paper for my master degree and uh, he was my, my director and I received a lot of help also from Dr. James Renahan. Uh, so I studied um, on, on uh, historical theology. I compared uh, understanding of covenant theology uh, from uh, Baptist and pedo-Baptist in 17th century. And uh, my dissertation was written in French, but my mentor, my beloved mentor said, if we publish that uh, in Quebec, there will be maybe uh, one or two guys that will read it by mistake. <laughs> uh, so you should, uh, we should translate that and publish it in, Engl in the United States. So uh, he, uh, he was very convinced that we should do that. And he, manage and push the, the, the project. I, I didn't have any contact to do that, but uh, he, he was able to, uh, to push it and have the, the, the recommendation of several uh, uh, more known uh, theologians as uh, James Renan and Richard Marcellus and uh, other, other uh, uh, teachers that recommend uh, my dissertation and uh, with solid ground we were able to publish it in uh, 2013 and uh, it, it was very well received I was uh, very happy about that and I uh, since then uh, we've uh, been discussing 
this uh, this matter of, of theology. Uh, it's I think it 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 it, um, it was uh, those years like uh, 2013 and further were uh, important uh, time for Reformed Baptist community to think and discuss. Uh, covenant theology so my my book came just uh, at the right time i would say by god's providence to enter that discussion amen well that's uh that's a really neat story of of god's providence and bringing you from uh you know the anabaptist background into seeing god's sovereignty in all things and and the doctrines of grace that that's a tremendous blessing and then, you know, bring you to the point now where we can talk about these difficult issues relating to covenant theology. Um, so it's thanks for sharing that, brother. We appreciate it. So, Sean, you want to take us into our topic? Yeah, um, as uh, as uh, might be a little bit clear at this point, the topic is going to be on covenant theology tonight. Um, so with that, I'll just dive into the uh, first question. Um, why should covenant th- theology be such an important topic? Um, especially as it relates to uh, Reformed Baptists? Why is that uh, something that we should focus on? Well, um, first, I would say that um, this uh, topic is, uh, as you know, um, uh, very wide. It will, uh, it, it's foundational to, to uh, theology in general. It will influence how we see uh, the church, ecclesiology, and how we, will uh, understand scripture, uh, especially how we relate Old and New Testament. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's like basic to, to theology. And uh, if uh, all uh, of the reform hold to uh, some form of covenant theology, and I would say that most Christians do, even though they, they are not necessarily aware of that or uh, have a, a full-blown understanding of even even dispensational theology uh, is related to the questions that are addressed with uh, covenant theology. Uh, but even in the reform family, the the different distinction between the reform uh, and especially for uh, a major uh, matter that concerns us regarding baptism and pedo-baptism. Uh, Covenant theology will uh, be at the basis of uh, those distinctions. So it's important to uh, have a general understanding, to understand, uh, have a general view of of scripture and theology. But uh, as we develop this understanding and become more specific, it will help us also to see why there are some important distinctions among Protestants and among the reform especially. So um, this, uh, the fact that it's, it's uh, important for Reformed Baptists uh, today, uh, it's not just because of our theology. It's also true uh, historically. Um, if you, if you uh, look at the 17th century uh, treatises that particular Baptists publish uh, back then, um, a lot of the primary matters they they were written about uh, was uh, on covenant theology, a lot of uh, treatises. Uh, so baptism was not like just treated as a separate issue. Um, it's through uh, thinking about a scripture and thinking about the church mainly and uh, the doctrine of the church and the doctrine of uh, the covenants, how, uh, God's people are is related to 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 God and to the covenant that they uh, end up being particular Baptist. Uh, so uh, that's that, that's why uh, this uh, specific subject is very important uh, for for particular Baptists and for Reform modern Reform Baptists too. Yeah, it's very interesting when you. Um... You know, you start to, especially when you unpack the history surrounding this, because you start to see covenant theology really as an identity with the particular Baptist. It's not just like a sub um, category of what they teach. This is defining who they are. I mean, like you said, it has to do with their baptism, how we see the church. It's all tied back to how they viewed their covenant theology. Um, it, it just has widespread implications. 
It does. It does indeed. And uh, there are, I think uh, we're becoming more and more aware about that. And there were many uh, uh, research and, and papers that uh, were written on that specific subject in the, the, the past uh, 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. We start, I think the, you know, yourself and, and the Renahans in particular have really kind of helped to mine that information that maybe we just didn't know before mm -hmm. and helping us to see, well, our, our history is more rich than we might give it credit for. Yep. Yep. And that, that kind of leads us into our second question. Um, so when we're, you know, we're talking about how important it is for us as Reformed Baptists to know our covenant theology but why would you say there is a decline in uh, wanting to understand these things or a decline in a proper covenant theology? You know, we see this with dispensationalism in particular. Um, what, what would be your opinion be as to decline of that? I am not um, so sure uh, how uh, eventually we've uh, kind of uh, slowly lost our uh uh, confessional identity. Um, it's it's uh, it's good to think about that, and also not to never take for granted sound doctrine of any particular movement. Anything that starts well can deviate. Uh, so we work for our own generation. We try to put all the safeguards, uh, but we have no uh, guarantee that in in in. Um, in, in, in the next uh, decades and the next generation will will follow the same uh, sound doctrine. Um, but um, what I, I I can see is that lately uh, there is a, a recovery of our doctrinal heritage that uh, if um, there seems to be some gap, even though I would say there was like a, uh, a remnant uh, uh, among uh, the, 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 the Reformed Baptists or the particular Baptists that stay faithful uh, all the way uh, uh, from the 17th century until today to the, uh, the Second London Baptist Confession. Um, there uh, was the, the major influence with uh, dispensational theology that impacted all the evangelical world and and it's not just uh credo baptists even some some presbyterian uh in the 20th century were dispensational in their their theology which i i see as a something very inconsistent uh with with uh, a, a reform understanding of church uh but uh, so this had a, a major impact and i would say that you know we're uh sometime when there is a, a, a major theological a major theological shift uh in the Christian world, uh it will somehow uh at different degrees uh, influence um the, the 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 whole Christian church. Uh so the Baptists were not um uh, outside of this this influence, but we can rejoice that uh lately uh we 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 assist to uh, a recovery of more historical uh, and original uh, Baptist understanding. Uh, there is a, a, a growing appreciation for historical theology and, and, and not just for a specific, our specific tradition, but for, uh, you know, classic Christianity, I would say, including uh, classic theism and, and, uh, you know, the rediscovery that we can appreciate the reformation, but it's not like reformation have started uh, Christianity. There was something before that we can, that, 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 that we, that we, uh, that is part of our heritage. Uh, and this um, interest has also uh, uh, sparked into uh, Baptist uh, theologians and 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 students uh, of of our days an interest of understanding more specifically our own tradition and not just reading the confession uh, detached from uh, its original context and what the first particular Baptists were thinking and how they were interpreting uh, 
the, 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 the theology in general, but especially the covenant theology. So I'm glad that there's a, a recovery there. Yeah, it seems that uh, I think in in the evangelical world, church history is not something that people are you know waiting in line to go and study necessarily. Um, I think it's it tends to be a neglected topic. But historical mm-hmm. theology can help us to stay away from those errors. Um, you know, not that we usurp Scripture's authority in any way, but it can help us to learn from the past and and see what the church did and see where what arguments that they use to address a certain topic. Um, cause they've probably figured it out, um, and, and address a lot of the questions that we have today about these issues. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, and, and you know, the church history is a bit, uh, we, we say when we study scripture that it's important to study a specific text in its own context. Otherwise we can take it out of context. And I think for, for systematic theology, uh, its proper context is is church history. Uh, so when when you you want to study uh, Christology, for instance, and you you go into the patristic era and you uh, come to know uh, who were the main actors and what were the debates, and so you have more than just a creedal affirmation. You you see why there is this creedal information or affirmation, and. Uh, as you said, it, it's, it doesn't replace scripture. We try to understand scripture, but as it was understood in the past, as it was uh, enlightened by the Holy Spirit through the different eras. And if you have no clue about church history, it's difficult to uh, have a proper appreciation and understanding of uh, systematic theology also. Amen. Now, um, going back to covenant theology here, um, uh, how is it that uh, having a biblical covenant theology will keep us from faulty views, um, dispensationalism being one of them? What is it about covenant theology that protects us? Well, I can um, maybe say a word of uh, personal uh, testimony about that. I, I, I've mentioned a bit my um, mystical uh passed before uh, ending up at, at the seminary to study God's word um, more seriously than doing it on my own. And uh, other um, issues I had inherited from my, my uh, Christian background and upbringing and the first books I was reading, you know, one of the first thing I, I started to read uh, when I became a uh, born again Christian was books about Jesus second coming. And it was all uh, pre-mill and uh, highly dispensational. And, you know, the first thing I, I read seemed to make sense. You know, when you have, you're not trained and you just see how they do the connections and you, you, you don't know how all the, the word of God you read the first book you read uh, you will be uh, convinced. And so I enter uh, seminary with, with a very dispensational understanding of scripture of the end time. And, uh, but I was not able to articulate a coherent view of Old and New Testament. Uh, you know, is there a you know, plan A and then plan B? Um, is there a... Uh, is there a continuity or it's it are are these two uh, separate plans that God is doing uh, what he was doing in the old covenant with Israel? How is it related to, uh, to, to the new Testament and to the incarnation and the coming of the Messiah and uh, then the Christian church. Uh, so, and you know that in, you know, there is different, um, uh, different um, degrees or different uh, shades of understanding among uh, dispensational theologians, uh, you know, more progressive, more uh, on the, 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 the continual um, uh, aspect. So, uh, but, you know, some will, will go as far as, uh, you know, separate more strictly uh, the two and, and, you know, call the, the, the church as just a parenthesis in, in God's plan. And, uh, you know, at first it just 
made sense because that's the only thing I, I knew. But when I, you know, the first book on covenant theology I read was uh, the Christ of the Covenant from uh, Palmer Robertson. And at first I didn't see how it was inconsistent with dispensational theology. I just thought, well, this, this makes more sense than, uh, or this guy will explain more, more, more clearly, more satisfactorily than the other I read, but I didn't see that they were in some contradiction with what I used to believe. Uh, but the, 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 the impact it had was to uh, really convince me that God's word was consistent, that it was not just, you know, a bunch of, um, um, God tries something and then he, he, he changes his mind. It, it doesn't work. And, uh, he goes from a, uh, to, to a dispensation to another one because, uh, the plan has failed and it keeps going like that. Uh, how, uh, to see a, a coherent unity, uh, a clear direction. And also this really, um, sealed into my heart, uh, the conviction that the scriptures were, were, were God made that it, it could not be, um, otherwise than than a revelation uh, inspired by the holy spirit how can moses and david and isaiah and the new testament authors and and and, and lots of others in between uh all talked about the same person uh the same plan and and they, they were not able to 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 talk together and arrange a a neat and and and, and cohesive uh, plan uh, it, it it needed to be uh, from the Holy Spirit. I remember asking to uh, Amar Jabala, the the dean uh, who was teaching Old Testament theology, how can liberal theologian see all that theology and still believe it's it's just man made? Uh, it was so convincing for me to see uh, the, the, the 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 coherence and the unity. Uh, and also try to, to to be able to 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 see how law and gospel uh, were distinct, but how they related. There were no contradiction. Um, so covenant theology, uh, in 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 my personal experience, and I would say that most people will experience that too, will help them to see the big picture, and not just the big picture, and that's all you see. But then you can zoom in into particular uh, text and and parts of God's revelation and see how parts are related to the whole. Uh, when you're in, 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 in old Testament time and in a specific covenant, um, uh, why sometimes it seems to, 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 to be different. Uh, well, there is not just a historical, uh, distinction. There is also a covenantal, uh, difference that needs to be taken into account when you interpret scripture. So uh, this will help to, to have a, a better view, a better interpretation, uh, also to have a rightful view of, uh, you know, Israel and, and the church relationship. Um, you know, in, in church history, uh, unfortunately, Christians were uh, sometimes uh, anti-Semist. Uh, uh, they, 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 we've, we've persecuted uh, the Jews, I, I say we, it's not that all Christians did that, but we know that uh, the, 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 the behavior and the discourse of some of the, the, the Christian theologians was, was not uh, always as it should have been toward uh, Jews and toward uh, Israel. Uh, and and uh, with the uh, event of uh, dispensational theology, we've became at the opposite of that. We became um, Israel-centric um, and everything is about Israel, not about uh, the church. And uh, so, you know, how, how to have a, um, a, a biblical and consistent way to articulate uh, the relationship between Israel and the church, you know, how it, it, it has a, it had a, a big impact and, church history and still today with you know even politics uh i would say that that uh, dispensational theology has probably influenced uh politic modern politics and and regarding israel um so uh 
covenant theology will will uh, help us uh, avoid some major pitfalls uh, that can that can cause uh, shipwreck sometime. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, John. Oh uh, yeah, I was going to say um, if we're if we're saved by this thing called the new covenant. Um, if this is the, the, the means by which God has uh, uh, saved us or, um, yeah, uh, we, we better know what a covenant is and, uh, we better know some things about what that covenant means as opposed to some of the other covenants that, uh, God has, uh, God has made throughout history. Mm. Amen. Yeah. That, and that's great, Pascal, that you bring out the, the consistency of God's, um, revelation, and that, I think, is an important part of keeping us on track when we're talking about covenant theology. We don't believe in a God that reacts to things in mm-hmm. time, as dispensationalism would help us believe, that God is reacting to you know man's sin or whatever it might be, and then going to plan B. Um, we have a God whose decree is immutable, and he will carry out his redemptive plan in a consistent fashion because he's truth itself. Um, so it, in it, it you can see already we're already talking about the doctrine of God as it relates to these things. It, yeah. it just has so many implications. But, you know, to your point, just seeing that consistency in Scripture helps us to stay on track. If, we're, if our understanding of covenant theology starts to veer into things that could imply God as being inconsistent in his redemptive plan, then we need to abandon it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um... I think that's that's the the one of the major major thing you know uh, a couple of uh, years ago I've uh, 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 participated into a conference about uh, open theism and um, I think this is uh, this is you know I wouldn't say that that dispensational theology is heresy uh, I think it's 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 an important error. But that can lead to some heresy, and and as you say, if we believe in a God that uh, reacts and God that is not immutable, and a God that can uh, change and can be uh, affected in His uh, being, then we slowly open the door, you know, to uh, this view of uh, open theism and all all uh, uh, different. Uh, um, theology that are related to that that are heretical that are uh denying the god of the scripture amen amen so talking so now kind of focusing the topic kind of on some of the specifics of covenant theology so your book the distinctiveness of baptist covenant theology um really does a comparison between presbyterian and particular baptist views um so can you talk a little bit about um kind of the the substance versus the substance administration argument that Presbyterians use in uh, terms of their covenant theology. I think that plays an important aspect in discussing particular Baptist covenant theology. Yeah. Well, I, I think um, for me it was, it was the, the main discovery when I started, I think it was back in 2007 when I started uh, to do my uh, research uh, and, and, um, the main thing, uh, that I, 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 I took away after, you know, doing those, those readings was, uh, that most of the particular Baptists, I wouldn't say all, cause, uh, it would upset, uh, some of our, uh, beloved, uh, reformed Baptist brothers that hold to, to, uh, a view uh, that is proper to Presbyterian or Westminster Confession uh, federalism, which says that uh, God's covenant, uh, there is one covenant of grace that is administered by uh, two distinct administration that is that are the old and the new covenants. And basically what they are saying is that uh, when you read uh, the Old Testament and specifically texts that are related to the Old Covenant, uh, and when you read other texts that talks about the New Covenant, you are not having two two, uh, different or two fundamentally or substantially distinct covenants. Um, What they are saying is that there is just one covenant of grace in term of 
substance uh the 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 promises and uh the the blessings that it brings this is what the substance is uh so what is your lot what is your inheritance in inheritance sorry my uh, english sometimes sucks uh so what you get to be into that covenant um this is the substance but when you read the scripture and you uh compare the old and the new sometimes they look very different uh they are not they don't they, they don't even look the same at some point and and sometimes they seem to be opposed and they will explain that by saying that those differences they are not um related to the substance to the core of what the covenant is giving because they are the same they are the differences are related to the external administration so they are just superficial they are just you know it can be important uh, but it's not it's not um it's not substantial so they they use this uh, uh aristotelic a distinction by between substance and accident uh and you know uh, a thing uh is its substance but it can have external uh form and 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 appearance and uh that can vary and it doesn't uh change the substance we substantially are two three human beings but we have different accidents uh so substantially we're the same we're equal but uh externally we're different uh so if we apply that to to the covenant of grace the westminster view was the, the 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 westminster i mean the the the, the westminster confession of faith view of the, the 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 covenant of grace is that there is one covenant of grace uh from fall to consummation that and we agree with that part there's just one covenant of grace we don't say that there there are two or more there's just one but they say that um it was differently administered at different uh, epochs that we can summarize in two uh uh major administration the old and the new and from what i was able to to research and read is that particular baptists rejected that view uh and that was the the main point of departure uh from the 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 pedo baptist and specifically the presbyterians um and it's not just you know like baptists out of the blue came to another view there's a very good book from uh i think you had it on, on the podcast uh dr samuel renehan it's it's uh, it's his phd uh, dissertation and he so what i did on the master degree level he did it on the phd level he won he went very uh, deeper than i i i've done and and there's something very interesting uh that i was not able to to research myself but i learn when I, i read his book i i saw you know like generally that there was not a, a strict uniformity of thought in in covenant theology among the reform but uh, dr renehan is uh is proving uh by the writings of these 16 and 17th century authors how the the thinking about covenant theology did uh progress go forward from uh bullinger to calvin to biza musculus ursinus olivianus and and, and uh, it keeps going until baptist and there were some uh, core unity uh, on some uh important themes like there's one covenant of grace but this uh main idea how you relate the old and the new and is is it strict continuity or how do you explain some of the discontinuity and you see some pedo baptist coming very close to uh what uh, became the particular baptist view 
uh, you know, theologian like John Cameron, um, who had, uh, we could say, a progressive view uh, that is closer to particular Baptists. And I, I, I would go as far as to say that John Owen, who was not a Presbyterian, who had rejected uh, the, 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 the Presbyterian understanding of, of church and even covenants, uh, and became a congregationalist, uh, and and he had a, a view that I was very close to particular Baptist. Um, I went as far as uh, calling him John the Baptist Owen in <laughs> my book, just because I wanted to uh, provoke uh, some debate <laughs> with my pedo Baptist uh, brethren, but also because um, I think that because uh, I, I was using most of his argument uh, to, to show that the, the, the sustainability and the, the, the um, how can I say that, the, uh, that our theology was not, you know, just a, 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 it was a minority understanding among the reformed, but those idea that the particular Baptists developed were also, um, put forth by some uh, proeminent and, and, and important and respected pedo-baptist theologian uh, that not, did not necessarily concluded upon those uh, um, covenant views for uh, credo-baptist understanding of church and, and, and of baptism, but um, I would say that the, the particular Baptist, they just made the, the last step that was necessary to recovery, a proper understanding of how we relate old and new and uh, circumcision and baptism and, and, and church and Israel and all that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I don't remember the question, but I hope. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that answers it very well. Um, I think that's really um, really our biggest distinctive with our Presbyterian brother besides baptism is how we understand the, the covenants, the old and new covenant relationship. You know, yep. we would see them as substantially different. I think Hebrews, at least in Hebrews 8, Hebrews 8, 13 is very clear that there is a, a passing away of the old covenant substantially and a coming on of the new substantially. Um, Amen. and it seems that the, the writer of Hebrews sees that fundamental difference there. Um, and not just merely how it's given to the church, administered to the church, or or whoever it might be. Um, so, I, if we can understand, and and I know that Sam, um, Doctor Sam Ranahan, has talked about not conflating type and anti-type, and making sure that we're keeping those categorical distinctions there, um, as we would say, you know, lovingly and kindly, that our our Presbyterian brethren do conflate those categories, um, and it does lead to those inconsistencies like on baptism or church membership, um, at least in the visible church, that is. Yeah. Should I, uh, like, uh, respond? Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. If you'd um, like to. Um, Sean's just pulling up his questions there. <laughs> right. No, I think you have the next question, actually, Dan. Uh well, I'll, I'll ask it. Um, why would the covenant of grace only be considered a promise in the Old Testament? And uh, what does that say about the salvation of Old Testament saints? Well, I, um, as, as I was uh, putting forward the, the, the pedo-baptist view of the one covenant, two administration, I, I, I didn't explain uh, how they respond because they didn't just rejected that view as incomplete or, or not fully satisfactory. Um, they, they, the way that the particular Baptists, and I think that the, the Second London Confession of Faith uh, will uh, explain how the covenant of grace is uh, unfold into the, the redemption, uh, historical redemption, is first of all by being promise and then uh, the promise is accomplished so there's first I just a revelation uh, of of God what God will uh, will do 
but so I will just uh, close my notification. Otherwise, you will. Do you hear those noise or no? No. Okay, so I can just let that go. Sorry for that. Mm -hmm. um, so the um, um, sorry, I lost my uh, the track. <laughs> uh, so that um, you ask why uh, we should consider it as a promise. I I, I would say that. Scripture calls it so uh, in Ephesians uh, 2nd verse 12. Let me just uh, pull my uh, Logos Bible as I speak to you. Uh, Logos can be slow sometimes. I uh, feel your pain there. <laughs> oh, this is the French one. Okay, I have my ESV here. No, that's James, sorry. <laughs> Are you doing any uh, post-editing uh, or? It's not um, no, we generally don't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's totally fine. That's, right. you know, the, we're just bringing it raw here. <laughs> All right, that's good. No worries. All right, so Paul is saying, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. So there are many covenants, it's plural, and one promise. And I would say that all the covenants were uh, connected to the promise. What promise? Well, the first instance of the promise is what we call the Proto-Evangelium, um, in Genesis 3.15, where God is revealing the gospel by, uh, by saying to the, the serpent that he will uh, bruise his head. And uh, I, I know it in French. So what is it in English? He will... Uh, oh, uh, he um, will... Um, bruise he will... his heel and crush, and crush the serpent's head. Yeah. Okay, bruise yeah. his heel and crush yes. the serpent's head. Thank you. Uh, so this is... Um, a revelation of what the posterity of the woman will do. And then the, the history goes forward based on this first instance of the promise. But all the Old Testament is just promise. There's no actual accomplishment of God's salvation. And when there is um, an actual salvific act of god it's not about eternal life you know like when god redeems israel from egypt well it's great it's good and it's to god's uh, praise and 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 it shows his 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 mercy and his wrath and it reveals his glory but to be redeemed out of egypt won't necessarily saves you from hell right so this is earthly this is typical from another salvation which is heavenly and this this uh, heavenly salvation this eschatological salvation will not be accomplished until the messiah comes in in flesh uh, and 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 will redeem his people so before that the gospel is is only in typical and into a, a revelation mode and it's only a promise. And all the covenants are built on that and have for mission to protect the promise, to uh, bring it forward, uh, to bring it forward closer to its uh, accomplishment, to, um, to manifest it uh, more clearly when God is doing a covenant with Abraham. Well, now you have a, a, a narrowing of the first promise, it's not just the posterity of the, the woman, but it will be the posterity of Abraham. And it will be the, bring blessing not just on Abraham's uh, descendant, but on all nations. Uh, and, and then this posterity will be linked to the tribe of Judah and eventually to the family of, of David. And so all this is only promise. Uh, so people were justified and saved and received their, their, their eternal inheritance 
based on their belief of a salvation that would come later. And my, my understanding is that everyone that was saved had been saved uh, by the, the new covenant that was at that point only in promise form uh, and afterward became uh, not just a promise, but uh, a, a, a promise accomplished and sealed in the blood of the covenant. And therefore, uh, the covenant of grace is in two phases. Uh, the first phase is uh, a revelation, a promise, and then a covenant accomplished, sealed in blood. And everyone that was saved was saved by the covenant of grace, which is the new covenant. The new covenant was first of all revealed and then accomplished. It was revealed at the very beginning. And I believe that Hebrew 9.15 tells that um, everyone that uh, participate or receive the eternal salvation has received it by virtue of the new covenant. Uh, So uh, Abraham and everyone that was saved as a believer were saved by the provision that are only given by the new covenant and no other covenants. The other covenant were subservient to this uh, new covenant of grace. So that's why um, we would say that uh, we would consider the covenant of grace as a promise during Old Testament time, because uh, if, if salvation comes by Christ, it's not until the incarnation that the promise uh, is is being in a covenantal uh, form of its own. There were covenants before, but the substance of what they were uh, giving to the people was not uh, proper. Was not proper to the covenant of grace. Uh, it was typical and earthly covenants, uh, subservient to this heavenly. A new covenant of grace. Yeah, it's very interesting that you bring that out about the blood being spilt, because I think that's an important aspect of understanding what really brings in that covenant. You know, the Hebrews chapter nine, I think is what you're referring to, where um, the writer of Hebrews is speaking about blood being necessary in terms of inaugurating that covenant. Well, Christ hadn't died in the, uh, the time of Moses. Christ hadn't died in the time of Abraham or in David. Um, so that covenant could not really have been a covenant at that time. It had to be spilt. Blood had to be spilt in order for that to happen. Um, yeah. 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 And all this, you know, uh, biblical um, uh, way of, of, of uh, actually cutting a covenant, you know, if, if you just uh, talking about a covenant, uh, discussing about making a covenant, it doesn't make a covenant until it's, it's being cut. And, you know, you know, there's, there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be blood and, and Jesus inaugurated the new covenant in his own blood. And, uh, this blood was not shed before that. Uh, Most, the the Mosaic covenant had blood, but it was the the blood of, of, of bulls and gold, but not Christ's blood. Yeah. Amen. Um, moving on to the application of our uh, of our covenant theology, um, where does infant baptism fit into these uh, controversial discussions of covenant theology? And uh, just as a, a personal note, I can say that uh, while I couldn't have even told you what the, the term covenant, covenant theology meant when I was first thinking through these issues and coming to a, a credo-baptistic understanding, I was grounding it in what I thought about the covenants, recognizing these distinctions and, and uh, applying it that way. So I, I do really think that it does, um, it does influence that. But what, what would you say is, um, is uh, how does this, this relate to uh, the paedo-baptistic discussions? Well, as you know, there are different arguments to, uh, that are used to, 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 to justify uh, pedo-baptism and, and how we respond uh, as credo-baptists. Uh, but I think that the, the main one would be uh, regarding covenant theology. Um, so to, to try to make it simple, uh, um, when God uh, established uh, the covenant with Abraham, he did include 
uh, Abraham's physical seed and everyone that was in, in his, uh, his, his house uh, and every male was to be circumcised. And usually Peter Baptist will use that as a principle uh, that is valid, not just for Abraham, but for every, everyone that comes after him as a believer that a covenant that God is doing with the head of a household uh, will include his, his posterity. So uh, God included Abraham's posterity and they needed to receive the sign of uh, the covenant. And they say that this was the covenant of grace. Therefore, um, every uh, member of the covenant of grace should include uh, his own posterity and apply the sign of the covenant of grace and the sign has changed. Uh, it's the same covenant of grace that Abraham was in, but um, the external uh, administration uh, went from circumcision to baptism. So, uh, and, and this has a major impact regarding ecclesiology because uh, when you look at Abraham's descendant and 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 uh, God's people under the old covenant you see a mixed people you see that there is uh, uh, believers and unbelievers uh, some regenerated and unregenerated some uh, Yahweh worshipers and some Baal worshipers uh, and and they are all covenanted with the true God externally, but being in the, the, the covenant of grace externally doesn't mean that you uh, have eternal life. Because uh, sometimes one argument uh, from Baptists that, will, that doesn't quite understand uh, covenant theology, they will say, well, why do you give baptism to your children if you don't believe that they are saved? Or, you know, like sacramentalists, like Roman Catholics and Lutherans will believe that um, that the baptism will regenerate, uh, will bring salvation, or will bring some spiritual blessing in their children's life. Uh, but the reform who are more consistent in their soteriology with uh, understanding that it's only through faith that we receive uh, justification and that we are in union with Christ, and baptism is a symbol of our union with Christ, so why do we apply it? To some uh, to, to the children that cannot confess their faith and and have a, a belief and a, a conscient understanding of salvation, um, so they make it a covenantal argument. It's not a, a baptism is not directly uh, related to to soteriology or to to personal salvation. It's uh, you are part of the covenantal community. Uh, you are part of God's people. That doesn't save you. You are called to faith and to repentance and faith as a baptized member of the this, co this community. Um, so therefore, they, they see the church as a uh, mixed community by nature. By nature, they don't see the church as um, composed of uh, people, people uh, who, who, who confess the name of Christ uh, voluntarily and that are uh, the, the profess to be saved, um, and this um, this view of the church was uh, suited very well the 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 seventh century, the sixteenth and seventh century churches that were uh, national churches um, and and and. So when the, the reformers inherited those uh, structure of uh, the Christendom, you know, you have a, 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 a large bodies in the society of different nations under it, above, above it, you have a king and there, there's God on top of that. And we're all covenanted with God uh, through uh, the the sacraments and especially we're being member of this Christian society and uh, we're being member of, of God's kingdom so it's the Christendom by baptism uh, that we receive at birth so 
when they look to a biblical uh, reference to justify this view of the church, well, they had the, the perfect uh, example in, in Old Testament Israel, uh, where we see a mixed people of believers and unbelievers. They were all covenanted. Um, so, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's how uh, the, 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 the pedo-baptism uh, was, was used uh, uh, among the Reformed to, uh, to, and, and, and it's still used today. Uh, even though if most Presbyterian church or pedo-baptist church among the Reformed are uh, more confessional or they're not like a, a, they are not national churches that include uh, all the people in the society because the society doesn't care anymore and they don't have to, to go. They are not required by law to attend church. So it just brought out of God's church unbelievers. But in the 16th and 17th century, the, the Anabaptists were, were first uh, the, the radical reformers to say that, well, the true church of Christ is not a mixed people. It's, it's only those who uh, profess faith in Christ and wants to, to be faithful to him. And so it's not, it's not a national organization and it's not under state authority. And they were persecuted, and and then the Anabaptist movement uh, went went uh, wrong, and they they went into many theological errors. And like a century later, uh, Baptists uh, came on the scene with very similar ideas, but they were not um, directly related to Anabaptists. They they came from uh, Puritan England and con- congre- congregational uh, understanding of the church that said that the true church uh, is not the church of England. It's not that the church of England is necessarily an apostate church or a false church, but the, the way that uh, independent separatist or congregational view the church is that the church uh, is, is a congregation of believer. It's not, it doesn't have a national structure. It has a, it's the gathering of those who profess faith in Christ and that want to submit themselves to, to, to Christ's word and ordinances. And they, the first uh, congregationalists, they, they kept baptizing their, their children, but they had changed the structure of the church. And Baptists uh, came forward from, from those congregationalist groups and they, they made the, the, the final step, I would say, of saying that, therefore, we should baptize only those who profess faith, uh, and that uh, the the whole idea of uh, having your children baptized because Abraham had his his children circumcised um, is based on the wrong understanding of how uh, the the baptism and circumcisions are related. Uh, they, they they do apply. Um, the 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 Abraham's call and circumcision to all believer where there's no biblical warrant to do that. Uh, there's no text that that says you know Abraham's circumcision was specific to him to be the father of those that are circumcised and the father of those that are not circumcised. He is kind of a dual father because he he received the testimony uh, that he was uh, being justified. Be, before circumcision, uh, and and he was called to be to be to be father of two kinds of seed, uh, the physical father of the Jews uh, and the spiritual fathers of all those who believe, uh, Jews circumcised or or gentle uncircumcised, and and so we cannot uh, take Abraham's circumcision as a general principle uh, that would be valid for uh, all that circumcision meant circumcision at a legal aspect. Uh, it, and Paul said that if you get circumcised uh, to be in covenant with God, well, you have to keep the law because uh, God also say that uh, to be circumcised mean to be under uh, his law. And uh, it, it, it is a, it is a legal ordinance and it's not an evangelical ordinance. And uh, Abraham's circumcision was was uh, 
for him alone, I would say in, in, in what it meant, uh, it, it, it was not the meaning of it, uh, was not the meaning of what circumcision is uh, generally for, for all the circumcised. Uh, the, 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 so I think I've, I've maybe I went a bit uh, farther than uh, what the, 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 the initial question uh, implied. But I, uh, I, I hope this um, uh, large uh, uh, take uh, on, on, on scripture, theology, and historical theology help, helps uh, make sense of uh, how we, we should uh, understand distinctly if we're pedo-baptist and credo-baptist and how we will relate uh, with circumcision and baptism. Amen. Well, Brother Pascal, great discussion. We appreciate you joining us this evening. Um, to all those listening, um, you can find us and other podcasts at reformpodcast.com. Also, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. And if you're watching on our YouTube channel and you have not yet subscribed, hit that subscribe button and hit the bell to be notified of any new videos that come out. Well, Brother Pascal, thank you again for joining us and for your time. It's been a blessing to talk with you this evening. Well, thank you very much to both of you. I appreciate uh to join you for this discussion. And with that, everyone, we'll be back next week, Lord willing, on Friday evening. Until then, take care.